Hi, everybody, and welcome to the End of Sales podcast. Alongside me is my co-host, John, a show regular, William, and we're delighted to welcome back Anthony Haggerty. How are you, Anthony? I'm very well, guys. Yourselves? Uh, we're all good. Thanks for coming back yeah, on, buddy. Night. Ah, pleasure. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Well, look, we've got so much to crack into, so we'll just take <laughs> a brief look, look back at the at the press in the game at Celtic Park, where we'll welcome back 2,000 of the Celtic faithful. And fair enough, in the numbers on, on the TV screen, it didn't look much, but they made their voices, their voices uh, heard, Anthony. And in regards to the game, just a brief chat about it. What was your take from it? I read your articles and I thought you were spot on, but now that you've had a chance to digest the game a couple of days after, are you still have the same opinion? Oh, very much so. I think it just highlighted the, the lack in depth and the real dearth of quality that we have in the squad. I'm not decrying any of the youngsters because I thought the youngsters have come in that did really well, but they're, they're being asked to you know, do too much, I think, and I think it's unfair on them. You know, But, but it's what Celtic have at the moment. You know, There's just a real lack of quality players there. And you know, with the new manager coming in, I think everybody thought that was going to signal and herald the start of a new era and they would bring players in as we moved along. But even Anne said himself today, there's been a lot of delays in, in moving things with regards to transfers in. And you can see that, you know, and I, I think a lot of Celtic supporters might be heading into tomorrow watching the game through cracked fingers. I think one of the words he said as well from his press conference was hesitated. Sadly, I've hesitated. And, yeah. and a lot of things, and that for me is quite concerning. Obviously, this has been a, a, like a, a recurring theme over the last 10 years or so, especially before Champions League qualifiers. But come to yourself, William, before we move on to that. I mean, awfully spot on there. I mean, it, it did point out the lack of depth we have all around the pitch. I thought, to be fair, I'm going to be honest here, I thought Preston dominated us in parts of the game. They could have won two or three quite easily, to be fair. Barkas made a, uh, a couple of good saves. Fair play to him. I hope he gets to run the team as well. But what was your take from the game? Yeah, pretty much the same as the last uh, game uh, that we discussed on the on the podcast, the last podcast. Just again, it just seems like another fitness exercise. It's not, but we don't really look sharp enough uh, at the moment. A lot of you, what you can see, we're trying to implement the style and it's um, moving the ball quickly and and all the rest of it. But when there's no end product, it's it's it's, it's not a pointless exercise, but it seems. It's a struggle, and and it is worrying for Tuesday. Uh, I, I, we did this, we did similar last year. We had plenty of the ball in every game last year, but it's um, the cutting edge up front that we've not got at the moment. And like Tony says, it's a, a lack of numbers. We've not got anybody up there other than a Yeti at the moment. Uh, there's nobody there, and and we're, we're lacking in wingers. And so going forward, we're we're, it's, we're looking like we're struggling to score goals. So I think to be fair, we're at the bare bones of a squad. Even actually after that, do you know what I mean? Because you're yeah. looking at the likes of you're looking at the likes of Dan Murray, John, and coming in and I mean he did he did particularly well. I thought when he came on it in the half time against Preston, I thought he was actually better than Urugini. But come to your come to yourself, John. What what's your what's your opinion on that game anyway? And I know it's pre season and people look a wee bit too much into things, but I think our fourth game, I mean, we've played up to, up until then, we played Charlton and Sheffield Wednesday. Who would have who'd play after that? It's kind of escaped my mind, but and then Preston. I mean, higher up we go, it seems like we're struggling a bit more. Do you not do you not do you not think that yourself? I mean, yeah, it was a pretty lackluster performance. Um, I mean, I fully I, I suspect that the they've kind of got one eye on this uh, Michelin fixture, uh, and I don't think the guys would have been pushing themselves too hard against Preston. 
uh, you don't want to risk these guys getting injured on the EV such an important fixture. So uh, I suspect that uh, I just maybe told them just take any ease off a wee bit. But again, like Tony says, it, it, it what it did do was highlight the lack of depth. Um, because they when you're rotating players like that, it's like everybody that wasn't, as you would maybe suspect, would be in your sort of starting 11 on paper anyway, um, were all young boys. And fair play to them. I mean, they've come on, they've played their part. Um, and some of them have impressed over pre-season. Um, but I think that ultimately, uh, as what I'm saying, it's still a bit of a fitness exercise. I don't think we've been pushing ourselves too hard against Preston uh, with the, this fixture just a couple of days after it. Um, so I'm no, I, I wouldn't look too much into it, but I mean, certainly the, the lack of depth is certainly a concern moving forward for me. Yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying about a pre-season exercise, and a lot of fans are of that opinion, but coming to yourself, Anthony, about this, I mean, I looked at that Preston game, and I know it's said brief, but I just want to get into a wee bit more. I looked at the Preston game, and I thought at least because there was 2,000 fans there, Celtic would be given a wee bit more, a wee bit extra, and John's right when, when he's saying that there's young players coming in and you're maybe not expecting much at this point. I mean, Dan Murray's, what, 17, 18? So you're throwing players like that in expecting a big performance. But are you looking at it as more of a, a test for what we're coming up against Mitzeland on well tomorrow, because we're recording this on the Monday? I don't read too much into pre-season games. What I do read into Stephen is that I want attitude, right? I want to see something. I want to see the Celtic players show me something. And it was just very flat and very lacklustre. And you mentioned Urugidi. The other team we played was Bristol City, by the way. Yeah, uh, I got it. I thought I got it. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Uri for me, uh, he get you know he got a lesson on how to play uh, by you know experienced footballers, you know, and uh, and Chad Evans and Scott Sinclair, wildly experienced campaigners, and he looked lost and he looked bereft of confidence eventually in that game. You know, you talk about Dane Murray. Dane Murray settled into that defence really, really well. But you, you can't go into a game of that magnitude with someone like Dane Murray, partner on Stephen Welsh. You know, just you know, you're asking for trouble then. So the unwritten law in Celtic's Champions League history is near Beaton plays in central defence, doesn't he? He just comes in from the cold, regardless of how fit or or whatever, or how many games he's had. First he just appears in two years. Always, yeah, he just always appears in the Champions League qualifiers. You know, I don't know if it's a safety net or whatever, but, you know, I, I just felt that Celtic were really lax on Saturday against Preston. And again, it's a pre-season friendly, but 2,000 fans were there to see, you know, some kind of shape, some kind of formations, some kind of style. And I think they left bitterly disappointed because they, they didn't see anything resembling that. Well, I, I don't think so in my mind. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I, and I said that day in, in the chat we had on Twitter as well. I mean, you look at the supporters who went to that match, the first game, 18 months, I think it was, before a, a Celtic supporter got into the stadium to watch Celtic play. Yeah. And you're kind of thinking to yourself, if I was a player, I'd be wanting to go make a point. No matter if it's pre-season, right? you kind of get that extra motivation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But before, before we move on to the FC Mitchell game, just a word from you all and Callum McGregor being appointed the permanent Celtic uh, captain. Come to yourself, John, first. Was that an obvious pick for you, Callum McGregor? Yeah, I mean, I think um, prior to um, all the transfer stuff was like we discussed this. Uh, we said McGregor or Ayer um, were potential candidates, but obviously Ayer's destined to get a move away. So I think that kind of ruled him out. But so uh, McGregor seemed a natural choice. Yeah. What about yourself, William? Yeah, no brainer. Uh, Celtic through and through, been at a club ever since he was a boy, and he knows what it means in uh, to play for this club. And I mean. He's, 
He's not a leader in the type of sense that Scott Brown is, but I think he leads by example on the on and off the park. Actually, um, uh, I don't think there's anybody even coming close to him. So yeah, no brainer. Scott to be him. Yeah, I think yourself, Anthony, you want the Christopher Harris since you're such a big fan. <laughs> Christopher, I heard that. <laughs> I would, I would drive him to his next destination, wherever that is. <laughs> no, I, I think, I think McGregor. What he will have learned from Scott Brown is how to be a captain. You know, eyebrows were raised when Scott Brown was made the Celtic captain. And my goodness, he grew into that role, didn't he? And I think uh, Callum McGregor's been there and seen how it's done because he's been Scott Brown's right-hand man in that midfield. So I think if he'll, he'll have learned anything. He'll have learned a lot of Scott Brown, you know. And Scott Brown left with the moniker captain leader legend. I think Callum McGregor has now got one of the, you know, or two of those things. He's a captain and a bit of a legend because he's won a lot of medals. Now he just has to prove that he can be a leader. And all of those things, yeah, so yeah. And, I, and I think he's well capable of stepping up to the plate. My, my only other pick would have been Julian, but because Julian doesn't have a start date of when he's going to be back, then I think uh, Callum McGregor made sense. He's been there through the good times and, and the bad times, so I think he's the, the perfect candidate. And maybe not as, as William and John said, a, a leader per se, but I think he's a, he's one of, he's one of those players that will grow into the role and he'll become more vociferous as he goes along. I think as well in terms of McGregor, he'll like lead by example. He'll show players the way instead of necessarily yeah. barking orders and stuff at them. Obviously, you're mm-hmm. not going to get another mm-hmm. Scott Brown. So, Colin McGregor, I think it's a fa- fantastic choice by Celtic. I mean, it was most obvious. We all thought that at the end of the season. But, look, moving on to the Midtjylland game. And I want to touch upon the Postacogli press conference today. And I'll come to yourself, William, first for this. He used a couple of certain phrases like hesitated and things were slow. And, obviously, there's mitigating factors and things. Do you think that's a concern? in regards to what he was saying about the transfer activity at Celtic? It is. Uh, I've always said that he's, he's uh, every time he speaks to the media, he, he makes me feel safe. He makes me feel like he's got the club and uh, he's gonna, everyone's going to be all right. He's in control. But that press conference there and post-match Preston, it's the first time I've seen him get he's, frustrated. It's probably the word he is. Um, and it's frustrating for us also. Uh, he doesn't back down right enough from any of these questions these guys are putting to him. I thought uh, he, if you're talking about the conference, the he was asked about Griffiths and stuff like that, and obviously that's a touchy subject, but I thought he dealt with it well. But you can tell he's frustrated, and he, he's honest. He says that we're, we're struggling depth. We've got no depth in the squad. We need he, he's, we need to get players in. But he always goes back to the fact that that's out of his control. There's not much he can do about that at the moment, this moment in time. And what he can do is get this team ready for for the task ahead. So, um, as much as it's worrying that we've we've got half a squad at the moment or half a team, we've uh, always got hope. I think we we'll, I think we might do the job. But yeah, he he, he's, he was cutting a frustrated figure in that press conference, especially. Um, I don't know whether it is. The frustration is coming from the lack of movement and the lack of transfer activity at the moment, or whether it's frustration that I haven't answered that same question over and over and over again every single day. But uh, yeah, definitely frustration coming from him. Well, look, you make a great point in regards to the Preston game. I mean, every time the camera panned him, he was puffing at his cheeks, he was rubbing his hands down his face. It was just like he's watching the team that didn't have a clue how to play and his style of football. Yeah, he spent. And what I like about it is I don't like I don't like management where after games 
it doesn't matter how bad they play, they're, they're always going to defend their players. Yeah, I understand to a point you need to do that. But I don't mind it when they're not played well and he comes out and says, you know, no, it wasn't good enough. So uh, this whole um, mantra about him when he came in about the fact that he's he's not going to take any nonsense and, and he's he, he's the go-to man, it, it seems that way. You can tell he's not happy. <laughs> Uh, and and I like that. I like the fact that it, it comes across that way. He's he wears his heart on his sleeve, and his emotions are there, and he knows it's not good enough. Um, but again, he's only just in the door, and he's it's tough. It's tough for him because, like we've said, he's he is he's struggling for uh, to put a team together. We've got young boys out there, 17, 17 18 year olds out there, um, and uh, it's it's understandable why he's frustrated. It's like when you're playing five and side football and you lose a player and you're bringing around all your mates to save thing and fill in. That's what it feels like. <laughs> that's something the minute. But look, let's get real here, Anthony, for a second, right? William made great points here in regards to like the transfer activity. I know we're saying Kyogo for Hiroshima. I think I got that right. I probably got that wrong, but we'll come on to that later in the show. It's a wee bit telling for me now that when he gets questions about these things, he keeps throwing for me, he keeps throwing me snippets of like being frustrated. He's used the word hesitated and it's things are slow, things would be done weeks ago and <sighs> I mean, that, that Kyogo said into me, you guys touched upon a Celtic state of mind. It's it's his player, but is it his player because he went, F this, I need a player. Do you know what I mean? No one knows that. But coming to yourself here, Anthony, is this a board issue? Because we've, we've seen this previously with managers and nothing really has changed in the infrastructure yet at Celtic Football Club. Is it more of a concern that the same members of that board and the same members of the backroom team are there? And is, do you think that's rubbing off on Postacoglu in any sort of way? Well, I wrote the other day, Meet the new bosses, same as the old bosses. I exempt, <laughs> <laughs> I exempt Posta Coglu from all of this. This is a man who's been brutally honest with the Celtic supporters. He's telling them like it is, you know. He's telling them, I wanted players, the club were hesitant. You know, but this was a man who was supposedly getting back from day one when Dominic Mackay introduced him and he said, and I said on the pod today, I can't understand why if Posta Coglu was the man who Celtic had targeted when they, when they got a whiff that Eddie Howe wasn't coming, that he didn't say to him, you're the man, start identifying players, we'll bring you in on X date. And then they bring Postacoglu in, and then that same week, unveil one, two, three, four players. The likes of Starfield, Furushima and Abada should have been in days after Postacoglu came in, if these are his players and he signed them. What's the point in signing £12.5 million worth of players that can't play in the opening Champions League qualifier? It's, it beggars belief, it really does. And again, as you say, a succession of Celtic managers have had to put up with that by the Celtic board. You know, these these fixtures come around the same dates every year. They don't change, you know. So Celtic are time in perpetual motion. They're always ill-equipped getting into the Champions League qualifiers because our board somehow don't treat the competition with the reverence and respect that it deserves. And somehow I don't think their ambition lies in Europe. And see if it doesn't lie in Europe, I want to ask one question. Why? You know, they, they win a league that means not a lot to people outside of Scotland, you know, or outside of your own pond. You must have your eyes on Europe. But every year, Celtic fail to prepare and then say, and Ange is letting people know, I'm trying here, but the, the club have been hesitant. That's a big, big word. Hesitant, isn't it? Yeah. He's almost he's almost saying, Don't blame me. I'm trying. You know, and I and I admire his brutal honesty here. And I also 
have written that I absolve them of any kind of debacle or blame that might happen in these uh, in the European fixtures. Because Celtic will be better moving forward in one, two, three months' time, right? Because they will get players in and he'll, he'll stamp his authority and mark on the team and they'll, they'll get better. But it's the here and now that concerns the supporters. And it's the here and now against Preston where it was a real dawning of reality, reality bitten Saturday for those 2,000 Celtic supporters and everybody that watched it. You know, there is a dearth of player and there's also a dearth of quality and there's a, uh, there is no strength and depth because you can't ask young players to carry you through Champions League qualifiers. You get what's coming to you then, if, you, if that is the case. And that's not decrying any of the ability of the young players who showed up well but it's a different ball game. You step up in opposition, step up in class, everything. And it's the Champions League. You know, you, the, the bounty, what, 30 to 40 million quid. If you can't take that seriously, then what are you doing? Yeah, I, I have a total agreement. I mean, we're big advocates in this podcast for young players coming in. But if you look around European football, and especially at top mid-level clubs, you get one, two, maybe three, possibly, of young players in, in, in with the squad surrounded by experience. This Celtic team at the moment, it's just a squad with no experience, bar maybe McGregor and Turnbull, the likes of that. But you're looking at it, William, as Anthony rightly said there. These players are being thrown in. Postal sounds frustrated. And it doesn't bode well for tomorrow's fixer against Missing, does it? No, no, not at all. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Six months ago, we were screaming and talking about how, well, myself, was, I was saying that if this... If, the how deal dragged on so long, if that does end up going tits up, that um, there was going to be a massive backlash. And, and I think we're in the middle of it now. There's there's next to no time. You feel for Big Ange because there's next to no time for him to prepare. Um, what Tony's saying there is, it's year after, this isn't just a season, it's year after year after year, we are playing a, a game with this Champions League. They never, never ever make these signings before. And the, the difference between this year is we've got far harder ties than we have had for the previous yeah. five, six, seven years. You know what I mean? So we should be even more prepared. These, it's not you can't understand like in previous years gone by why we've. But you, for Celtic, looking at it from a financial aspect, we we are better than these teams. We shouldn't need to make signings to beat these. We should be getting through these teams. This year is a far different proposition. We have got these are. Big big teams we are playing against, um, and it's it's not baffling because it just it, like we said it happens over and over and over again. But the fact that we're gambling again uh, for our European football, which let's face it, over the last well forever, European football has been the mecca for us. It's it's what we all live for as fans. It's what we want to see. We want to see us against the best teams in the world, and yet again we're gambling with it and. It looks like a very, very difficult gauntlet to get through uh, with the teams that are ahead of us. And not only that, uh, we're given a slight handicap with the fact that we've, we've, we have, we've, we're lacking in depth and we're lacking in quality. Uh, so it is it's very worrying. Yeah, I mean, for anyone who's listening, my co-host John has had to leave us for t- some technical issues. I think he hasn't paid his Wi-Fi bill, but sure. I mean, but <laughs> see, to be honest, th- th- let's get real here again, right? So you you look at Celtic being always been portrayed by the board as a big European club with ambitions to get into the top table of European football. 
it seems to be the only person at the top table of European football within the club is Peter Law at that ECA board. But I mean, coming to yourself, hopefully, being realistic about it, I mean, when I was younger, I had the blinkers on and I, I could never see anything wrong with Celtic. And then I started obviously studying more and looking more in depth into the club. And even when I started doing these podcasts and speaking to certain people, including yourself, it's opened up my mind to a different prospect in, in, in regards to around the Celtic. No, it's true. It's true. But but you look at it from the outside in. Yes, we're a big club, big history, big institution. But just at the moment, it feels like from the top, there's no ambition to take us to the next step. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't act like a big club, do we? And we haven't acted like a big club for a long time. You know, well, since since Brendan Rodgers came in the door and they acted like a big club and, you know, what happened? Unprecedented success. You know, mm-hmm. funny that, isn't it? That when you're all standing from the same hymn sheet, you back the manager who gets everything that he wants. You qualify two out of three for a Champions League. The one that you don't, you don't back the manager. He leaves. You know, it's the beginning of the end. But Celtic seem to have this kind of macabre thing going on every summer where they play Russian roulette with the Champions League, you know? And it's and for Celtic supporters, it's not good enough. It's where your standards are set. It's where you're judged, you know? And, and, and if you're going to be a big club, you can't even masquerade as a big club. You know, you have to sometimes speculate to accumulate. You know, and a lot of people are saying this, you know, uh, the league matters more than anything. Yeah, but the league mattered more than anything last year. Can you imagine if Celtic had won the 10? Spoke about it today. You could have marketed any product with the 10. How much money would you have raked in if Celtic had won the 10? You know, putting 10 on anything. You would have got it all back. So there comes a point in Reality we faces you and you think, do you know what? You know, last season was the season to maybe have a tilt at everything. You know, 10 could have followed and then you could have maybe, uh, you could have possibly have set yourself up with a team good enough to win the title this year and automatic access to 40 million quid. At this moment in time, you can't see Celtic doing anything in Europe and you can't see them winning the league and getting access to 40 million quid which flies in the face of what I said a minute ago, saying that they're going to get better. Because they, <laughs> will, they, they will get better, but are they going to be good enough to win a title? No, that's what's even, that's what's even more scary. Um, yeah. like, see, see before, like like I said in previous years, we've talked about how um, they're gambling with the Champions League, but it seems that way, looking from the, fin- like again, for the financial aspect, it's like, well, domestically we're winning everything. So why it seems to me they're like why are we going to splash the cash on a player or a number of players uh, to qualify for the Champions League and it goes wrong and we're going to win everything anyway. But this year you just Tony just nailed it. The talk everybody talks about how the, the league's the most important thing this year. The league season starts in a couple of weeks and we're not prepared for that either. So <laughs> yeah, you could be behind the eight ball in a matter of weeks. What and Aye. watch three of the first four games. Uh, Hearts, Rangers and Aberdeen are Hibs, am I right? So, and I'm not saying that, you know, you should be running scared at any of those teams, but you know, you, if you've not got a settled team, settled players, settled formation, you know, you, you could find yourself a right good few points behind by the end of August, beginning of September, you know, and yeah. and that's, it's hard to play catch up, you know, we, we had hoped that everything would run smoothly when Ange came in and we We'd hit the ground running and it would be a brave new era and a brave new dawn. You know, you touched on it there. That big, that's a big word to me, that in that press conference today, hesitant. Explains a lot maybe of his body language and his frustration. People say he's like that all the time. That's fine. But if things aren't happening quick enough for the manager, 
how long before he gets annoyed and yeah. really frustrated, you know? And and he was honest today. That was a shot over the bow. That was a help me and a plea for help, you know? Yeah. I, I, I'll do this. I'm, I'm, I'm charged with a task. I'm honoured to be charged with this task. But I'll do my bit if you do yours, you know? You can't send me into battle into Europe without any new players. I mean, yeah, it's Cameron would have signed. It's Cameron would have spent twelve and a half million quid on new players, and not not one of them can play in the Champions League. I mean, that it's just, it's just that blows my mind. What's the point? It's a bit, it's a bit like that situation with the same Bonnell, Golly, and Julian, isn't it? Just leaving them on the bench for weeks on weeks on weeks, and then Turnbull as well towards the latter end of the season. But bringing yourself back into the conversation, John. William alluded to the fact that you maybe paid your Wi-Fi bill when you're off further, but sure, coming to. <laughs> Coming to, coming to yourself, I'll bring you back to the press covers. We were speaking about it there, that word hesitant. It is a big word. It seems like Anthony's right there. It is a shot at the board to be like, come on, do your bit that you promised you'll do. Dom, Dominic Mackay promised him as well they're, he's going to get back. Are you concerned at all about Anne's Postacoglu's latest press conference? Um, Yes and no. I, I certainly feel that um, some of the, the stuff that he said was alarming. Uh. But he's kind of put them to rights, uh, and he's he's by coming out and saying what he said, he's let the board know that he's not going to let it slide, um, and he's letting the fans know he's not letting it slide. Um, I think he's done the right thing by being honest. Um, I think that's something we've missed in managers of late. Um, and like we mentioned, you can you can tell he's frustrated because he knows the position we're in, and he knows the magnitude of these games coming up and the importance of them. Uh, to the club, uh, both financially and uh, for the season overall. Um, so, I mean, and, and Tony said that, he made a perfect point there, he's like 12.5 million on players who aren't even going to feature. It's a lot of money to spend on guys who uh, are not going to help uh, potentially navigate this qualifier. And even if we get by, by Midland, it's what faces us after that as well, which concerns me. Um, so, we need to ensure that if if Dom was right in what he said, and I believe that he was, uh, and that he is batting Ange uh, and the board, etc., are batting them, um, then they are doing what they can. Uh, I appreciate, obviously, maybe things are getting done as quickly as possible, uh, as quickly as we'd like, uh, but we are in sort of a completely different set of circumstances than you would be normally. And I think Ange alluded to that fact as well when he said, normally it's just sign a player, get him on the plane, get him out a couple of photos, and then that's him. Um, we can't do that now. A lot of these countries that we're getting players for potentially, uh, uh, well, I suppose now for today, anyway, uh, it doesn't really matter. But prior to today, um, there's a lot of sort of rules and regulations about the whole COVID carry on and uh, all that, and that might have played a part in, in, in delaying some things. So um, I'm hoping um, that at least moving forward, because we can't do nothing about it now at this point, so I'm hoping at least moving forward we start to see things move a lot quicker now that we don't have to abide by these regulations because I'm assuming that all these top athletes and that, they've already had both their doses and everything else and for coming into this country uh, as of today, I believe they don't need to self-isolate if they've had both. Um, so hopefully, as I said, hopefully uh, that's a sign that things are going to start moving with a wee bit more pace. I don't, I, didn't know, I don't know if you guys know this, but Adaba, the Israeli signing, he actually had to play under a trialist against Preston because there's part of the issues around his work permit, which hasn't been actually mm. issued yet. So mm. I think that's part of the reason why he's not featuring mm. tomorrow evening, which kind of comes back to your point, £12.5 million of free players who <laughs> won't be anywhere near Celtic Park for this game. But look, we'll come on to the squad. 
Go ahead, William. Sorry. Sorry, sorry, mate. See, just to touch on like what John was talking about there, and I, like I do agree with every point he's making about how um, there's obviously factors involved now, and that's what uh, the reason behind the fact that these these deals are stalling. But this is something that this board should foresee months and months ago. Yeah. The fact no, that I it was dragged that. out with uh, how uh, has left us in this position. It's, and I said it, I've said it countless podcasts with, with how before. It should have been a matter of, listen, you're our number one target, we want you. What's happening? Are you coming or going? And if he says, oh, I don't want to the end of the season, just say, no, 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 no. You're not putting the club up. You know what I mean? You're not, it's no, you're no holding us to ransom. If you're, if you want to be here, you're here. We want you, you're number one target. If you don't, then we're going to move on. If that's the case, we've got bloody three months, more than that, however many months it was for, if Ange was the next guy in line to get him in and have these deals get processed back when the transfer window first opened. But because we've stalled and stalled and stalled and waited, that's why we're in the position we're in. So as much as, yeah, I understand now, everybody's hands are tied and there's not much we can do about it now. These guys have paid stupid amounts of money to sit in a... They need to foresee these things. There needs to be a plan B, C, D, E, F and G. But it doesn't seem that way. It just seems like it's, oh, that didn't work, so we're going to hit to go and do this now. And then, no, we're, we're left in the in the ship, basically. There's, there's no visionaries. There's not, they're always yeah. reactive. They're never proactive. Exactly. Celtic board, exactly. right? I mean, that's, let's be honest. I'll tell you something else that's beginning to annoy me. It's like any team that Celtic play in Europe, now people are talking about death ties and all that, with PSV and Galatasaray lying and wait if they beat Michelin. No, years ago they used to talk about groups of death, and a group of death meant you'd qualify for the Champions League group stages. And I'll give you an example of some of Celtic's groups of death: Bayern Munich, Lyon, and Anderlecht, two thousand three, four; Man City, Barcelona, Borussia Mönchengladbach, two thousand sixteen, seventeen; PSG, Bayern Munich, Anderlecht, a year later, you know, and back in 2013-14, Barcelona, Milan, Ajax. They're groups of death, right? I don't believe that. Ties against PSV and Galatasaray are death ties. But Celtic supporters were taking a sharp and take a breath that they thought, oh God, if we beat them, we're, we're now playing them. These PSV and Galatasaray are traded in, you know, reputations earned years ago, possibly like Celtic too. But you try to tell me that Celtic can't compete with these guys. Rangers beat Galatasaray in the Europa League last season. You know, I so think- there's this attitude that and it's pervading the Celtic supporters and it's all very gloom and doom and that the the hopeless cases in Europe and if that's the case there's certain people that have dragged Celtic to that point in their history where being they're a hopeless case in Europe or they're an also ran and that attitude has to change and those at the top have to see that Celtic are a, a glorious and illustrious history in Europe you know and I'm not saying we're going to get back to those dizzy heights anytime soon but you want to be seen to be ambitious and trying to get there. You know, but it doesn't matter who Celtic draw in Europe now. Supporters are like, oh, that's tricky, that's hard. When really, Michelin, PSV and Galatasaray, you know, Celtic shouldn't be seeing them in the road. They should be able to comfortably beat these teams because they would have a team in process that can compete and, and, and be better than them. But sadly, it's not. And that's what really, that's what really galling me at this moment in time. You know, why should Celtic be worried about a, a, a tie against a Danish side. Let's be honest, they shouldn't be, but they are. And they are, and they've been brought to this by gross 
mismanagement of the football club. Nobody, as you see, like Neil Lennon left the door in February. Where's the forward planning? The minute Neil Lennon left, he started giving Eddie Howe two or three weeks, you know, tops. And then, you know, and, and should have been brought in. And then, as I say, those rafter players should have been brought in to work some team shape, some team formation, some style, so that by the time this game came, you know, Celtic were hitting the ground running. You know, everybody was singing from the same hymn sheet. I've never known Celtic to go into a Champions League uh, qualifying tie so haphazard and on a wing and a prayer. And I know we've had years of ill preparations, but I think this is the most ill-prepared I've ever seen Celtic go into a Champions League qualifying tie. You guys can maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but it certainly smacks of it, doesn't it? No, I would agree with that. Anthony, this is what we're here for. Let it all out. But coming to yourself, John, you were going to respond to what Anthony was saying. Go for it. No, I, I, I was just going to say that, mention that I agreed with what he was saying, but I like the people that need to be held accountable for the um, failings is, is the people at the top, as I say, is that they put all mm. their eggs in one basket with how, um, and that's cost us significantly because now we're in the position that we're in. And what my comment was going to be more... Um, and you're absolutely right, Tony, because I, I, we, we sh- as a club shouldn't be fearing Mitchell and, and we shouldn't be fearing PSV and we shouldn't be fearing Galatasaray. Um, but we know, and I think it, when you look at the team and the state it's in at the minute and the situation the club's in in terms of the rebuild and how well prepared we are, uh, that's the reason why we're kind of going yeah, yeah. to the and, and that 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 is, I think, ultimately, like you, like you touched on as well, that that's the, the most worrying part that we're actually stooped to a point now where that is... The situation that we're in, when it should never have been the case in the first place. So I, do, I, I, I perfectly agree with everything you say there, Tony. I just wanted to add to it. Mm. I think if you make it's, domestic dominance your god, then you've got to domestically dominate, haven't you? Celtic through uh, until last season, Celtic thought ten was in the bag, you know, and then they could hit the re, you know, the restart button. And I think most most supporters would maybe have accepted that, but they failed at the most critical juncture. And everything has just seemed to gone to pieces since then, you know, and, it, and it, it's it's not good enough, you know. It's another, it's another take. It's another take. Like you were speaking about there, the European ties, and I have this issue with the Celtic, especially the, the higher up you go in the Celtic kind of boardroom and other levels and stuff in the club. It's kind of take what you're given now with Celtic. It's there's no kind of um, in between with Celtic at the moment. You look at as you as you both rightly said, you look at these European ties we could potentially face, likes of Mitchellan. Again, it's a team. Let's be honest here. It's bang average team. Rangers smashed them two years ago, so there shouldn't be there shouldn't be anything we're we're going to fear. But you guys are right. We're at that point now. We're at that juncture. The squad that we're we're seeing on this this list that was put out the the squad list it's just kind of detrimental. And you, you look at it from my eyes anyway, and it's like we could face the potentiality of being put out again by Mitchell. I mean, look at the likes of Furnas Faros, Malmo, Maribor, all them teams, and that was in the easier run in the Champions League, and now we're in the champion. Well, now we're in the, the harder run that the Champions Pop just used to send up, but obviously not now. But, I mean, <laughs> it's like you, you're almost going to yourself, as you guys said. It's it's mind-boggling that Celtic, as a football club, are afraid of them ties. And the fans, much like myself, I have to be honest, have kind of looked at that going, can we really get past that? Now, that brings me on to the squad. And we've seen that Champions League list been put out. Obviously, all the user on it. A few surprises and collusions, like Lee Griffiths and people like that. And then, obviously... Ayers missed out and these towns missed out. But come to yourself, William, the squad list does kind of point. I mean, we spoke about it at the top of the show, but looking at that with playing eyes on that list, there's nothing really there, is there? Like, um, no. 
short answer, no. Um, what, it surprises me because what he did say in his press conference was everybody that's in the squad is available. But Christopher Julian's there. He's not kicked the ball for us for however long. Uh, Christie's not been involved uh, re- as much in pre-season. Forrest hasn't hasn't been uh, there at all. And I know he says that people... It wasn't a contradiction, but he was... On one hand, he actually said everybody that's in the squad is fit and available. And then he went on to say about how everybody's at varying, uh, variable fitness levels and it's all everybody's at different. So it's a strange one for me. Uh, yeah, a couple of inclusions are, are uh, a bit a bit strange. But I wasn't expecting much more, to be fair. Uh, and looking at the team, looking at that squad, it's going to be difficult to... I was been trying to think of formations and how you can fit certain players in where, which is what pretty much Neil Lennon did the whole of last season. Um, but it's it, it, it's difficult to pick a first eleven for there, to be honest with you. Yeah, there. Are, I mean, you're right, Miss said there is a few surprise inclusions. I mean, Lee Griffiths is the guy everyone's. He's the hot topic at the moment, isn't he? Really, William? And just yeah. obviously briefly, are you surprised to see him back in the squad? No, I'm not. I'm not really. Um, like. I mean, we've we've discussed it at length before, obviously before all the, all the, the the stuff that's went on in the last few weeks. But we, we we said at the end of the season, I think we were all in in agreement that he's had more than enough chances to prove his worth to uh, to Celtic. Celtic have backed him at every turn, and we I think if circumstances were different, we probably would have let him go at the end of last season. Um, with regards to what's went on. Everything he's been cleared of everything. The police investigation he's been cleared of. So technically, from that point of view, there's you you know you just you move on. Uh, it's not how most people will see it. But uh, if he's fit and ready, then and and he's there's nothing incriminating against him. Then he, well, yeah, he's got to be in the squad. So I wasn't surprised to see that at all. No. Yeah, I mean, coming to yourself, John, with the squad list and stuff, and Lee Grivers, if you want to speak about that briefly, but. What what's your opinion on? I mean, with this speaking about lack of depth, that as I said, definitely that clearly shows where Rad is a team at the moment, doesn't it? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I don't think there was any real surprises. I expect that all the the usual suspects and that were listed. Um, and again, like William says, I, I I'm much like him, and I'm sure Tony's the same. Is you're looking at it and you're trying to figure out what the starting lineup's going to be. Um, you've obviously got your mainstays, McGregor, etc. Um. That, that are going to be first on the sheet, but it's it's your sort of defensive positions and things like that, that that you're looking at, and it becomes slightly more worrying um, because we know how weak that area is, um, and we're going into this tie without any real strength or depth uh, in the defensive side. So, <clears throat> I mean, ultimately, uh, no surprises, um, but I mean, try try to figure out. Especially with the, the the way that Andrew's sort of looking to play, um, what, how he's going to line up. Yeah, I mean, you you look at the the whole team. I mean, look at Ralston. He's going to be first choice right back. Greg Taylor left back, and it, it's it's mind boggling, isn't it? Awfully, really. I mean, you're, you're looking Ralston, at it. Ralston, yeah, we'll be beat on in Welsh besides those two. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. Ralston. You look at it, it's like, really, he wouldn't get a take, get in the most SPFL sides. That's not me being personal. Again, it's just an opinion. And then you go up further up the pitch, strikers are, I don't know, Griffiths, you've got Ayeti, you've got Edward. Edward's checked out. 
the rumours of Brighton's come in for him for £20 million, which I don't really Ed, believe. Edward will play tomorrow. He has, to play, so? he has to play Edward. See, while well, he's there, you've got to get a tune out of him. And he's, he's the best striker we've got at that club by a country mile. Right? Because Ajete, the last couple of pre-season friendlies, I go on about attitude. Ajete was given a lesson on how to lead a line on Saturday when Edward came on. He really did. Edward showed for the ball. He played the ball at way to Abada. Looked to like the play. Tried to get into goal-scoring positions. Ajete can be quite lackadaisical in that kind of sense. Don't think he shows enough. And if the ball's not coming to him, he just he just goes missing. You can't have that as, as, as your main striker. Lee Griffiths, you know, whatever happens with Lee Griffiths, Lee Griffiths is morally bankrupt as, as far as I'm concerned. You know, there's a moral issue here with Celtic with regards to Lee Griffiths. Don't want to dwell on it too much, but, you know, he's been included in the squad, so it shows you what Celtic are thinking, and it shows you the fact that if Celtic had two or three other strikers in their, in their, on their books, I don't think Lee Griffiths would be anywhere near that squad. 100%. Right? Definitely. So Celtic, I, I mean, there is a moral issue here with regards to Lee Griffiths, and Lee Griffiths himself stands in negative equity or morally bankrupt with the Celtic supporters at this minute. And, uh, yeah, big, big call. And Ange dealt with it well today, I thought, because this is a situation that's been foisted upon him, you know, after the kindness of his heart giving him a new deal, you know, and then he's had to deal with it. And then he's, he's waited to all the investigation, both the criminal one and the internal one by the club. And he said, OK, he's come into my consideration now because he, he reverts to he's a Celtic player, mm-hmm. right, which is the fairest way you can describe it. You know, so but Edward has to play. You want to advance through this tie, you've got to play Edward for as long as he's there. You get granted he's going to leave, and it's no Ange Postacoglu's modus operandi because he wants players that are there. But if you want any kind of result, then you have to play your best team. You know, and I also think that Christie might play as well. And that uh, might pain don't be saying that. Out. That might pain a lot of people, but again, he's tried and tested, and he's experienced. You know, because we are threadbare. In fact, probably worse than threadbare. You're not going to trust. You you know, you're not going to trust young kids to go in a game of that magnitude. So you're going to have to turn to the likes of Christie. You know, so uh, it's it's incredible that it's come to this, but it has come to this, and we've been in this movie before. And Celtic supporters kind of know how this movie ends because they just they. I I, I say that today the only you know the Celtic supporters know their history. The only ones that don't know their history is the Celtic board. Because they keep making the same mistakes when it comes to these kind of matches, you know, and they don't pick up the slack. It's ordinary supporters like you and I who feel it when it goes pear shaped, you know. We feel it, know them. They can still yeah. earn their hundreds of thousands of pounds, you know, wear their club badge and their blazer and their suit, you know. But it's the Celtic fans who fork out their hard earned, who turn up every week. We do podcasts, who give up their time because they love the club so much. We feel it. And yeah. Angie's certainly feeling it right now. Cause he's like, what kind of movie have I walked into here? You know, this this what this is not at the moment what it said on the tin, you know, and that has to change. And I, I, I get back to it. A massive warning shot over the bow today, the Celtic board by Ange. And I'm glad he did it. Because it shows everyone saying, Oh, he's just another yes man. He certainly ain't no yes man. He looks like a man who's like, I've been here 40 days. If you want me to stay another 40 days, get your finger out. Yeah. 
I, th- I think as well, like, you, you look at it from the outside. I mean, you, you're right. Us Celtic fans always pick up the slack. The people at the top don't really care. Obviously, they, they give you what, what they want to give you, so to speak. And if they don't want to give you any more, they won't tell you anymore. We've seen that throughout all the months. Danny wasn't there. All the statements that didn't come out, we wanted to come out. And then when we got something, it was total shit what was said in the statements. But, like, you said there in regards to a movie, just going off topic here, what kind of January do you think this movie would be, Anthony? What <laughs> <laughs> comedy horror? Is that what you can, can you fuse two genres? Because I think that's exactly what it would be, wouldn't it? Yeah. Comedy horror. Yeah. So I, I think that's a perfect way to describe it. I mean, in regards to the squad, I think looking at it, you're you're kind of facing the possibility of throwing Dame Marion because he was better than Urgini, being honest. Be taught yeah. if he's hundred percent fit. Julian, if he has one leg available, get him on the pitch. As William said, he's still injured. But, I mean, coming on to the, the transfer side of things, I know we touched upon it, but um, there's a likes of Kyogo Furushima who's been signed from uh, Japan. Adaba, he's been confirmed and signed. And then Starfelt looks like the next player coming in. I'm alluded to the fact that it was £12.5 million on players who can't feature, John. But do you think maybe after this game tomorrow, I know we keep saying... Do you think this is going to happen? What do you think next? What do you think is happening going next? But you kind of have to have a bit of hope somewhere. Do you think there's going to be an influx of new players coming in the next sort of eight to ten days? I do. Uh, like I said earlier, it's like now, obviously, the regulations and stuff has changed. There's absolutely no reason why uh, that's not going to be the case. I think Starfield obviously will be the first name announced. Um, we know we're still in the market for other players, and it's getting those over the line. Um but I, 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 like I said, I'm, I'm in, in that respect. I'm trying to remain somewhat positive, um, and I, I do feel that, especially over coming days, uh, we'll probably see a lot more, a lot more movement in the, the sort of transfer area. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I, as I say, I, it, it, it's hard to tell. Uh, and Angie's comments today didn't necessarily help matters, but <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, I think now that the rules and regulations in terms of coming into the country have changed. Uh, that things will start to speed up and we'll start to see a little bit more movement. But I, I, mean, I, I, I will say this, and I said this previously, and the Kyogo one was a perfect example of this. I feel that a lot of the names that are being linked is just all sort of your paper talk. It's just the rags day with the day, and, and you'll get linked to everybody. Um, but I, I, I do feel that Celtic have a lot of cards close to their chest, uh, and they might not be coming and moving as quickly as we'd like, but I, I feel that they're coming. And at least I'm telling myself that regularly <laughs> to try and keep my spirits up. But I, I do feel that there's going to be some announcements that I don't think we were ever aware of, like the Kyogo one. Um, it's just going to come out of the blue. Uh, and like I said, I think we're, we'll be in a much better position in, in the coming weeks than we are than that. I also yeah, think I mean, as well that we have to look domestically too. And I mean, down south, you know, the, the Ben Davis rumour isn't going away. You know, George Baldock for Sheffield United as well. No guys like that. They they they're they're first team ready. They could come in tomorrow, you know. So so why but haven't we, why haven't we explored that as well? You know. Yeah. Just looking yeah. back, they not. I mean, see Ben Davis and uh, George George Baldock. We spoke about this at length in the podcast. Is that not working off old transfer targets? I mean, Ann's Postecoglou. He wouldn't have had time to really sc- the scout them sort of players, would he? No, uh, they maybe are. Sorry, they maybe are on an old list. That's fine, but. You know, they're still not going away because they're still being written about as potentials for Celtic. But what I'm saying is they're first-team ready players. They've got loads of experience and anybody coming into that team will improve it. 
I mean, anybody worth their salt, you'd have to think they would improve it. Ben Davis would improve it, wouldn't he? Just, well, just, be, agree. just because he, he, he never came the first time doesn't mean he's, he's become a bad player. You know, Baldock has just been one of those that's been bubbling away. You know, and you speak to people about him, they, they rate him very highly. I just think that, you know, these kind of players can Celtic really afford to turn around and say, no, we don't want them if they can get them in the door. You know, I, I, I don't think they can. And, you know, just, but again, Postacoglu, Furushima, look how quickly that get done. Done what, what, overnight. You know, that deal. What, what is your opinions on uh, Furushima and Leal Abada and possibly Car Starfelt? I mean, I've seen uh, Russian journalists and stuff obviously tweet out, you have to translate the tweet and things, but saying that he's quite possibly the best ball playing defender in the Russian Premier League. Does, is them sort of players exciting you? Of course, I, I, I said before, I, in, in a month's time, Celtic will be a far better team because these guys will be in the door, you know? It's just that we don't have a month's time till we play Michelin, you know? And that's what Celtic fans were... That's the first fixture Celtic fans looked at as soon as the season finished. Who are we getting in the, the Champions League qualifiers, right? Let's be geared up for that. And when Ange came in and, you know, we got a new manager, we all thought be brave new era, brave new dawn. We'd have a few new players. I thought we'd at least have four or five new signings in. We've got none. None, have they? They've none. Urigidi, Liam Shaw. You know, right? Yeah, you're laughing, right? So that tells you what you think about that, you know? So these guys should have been in the door weeks ago. They should have followed the manager in the door the week after the manager. So what happened? And I think what Ange Postacoglu was alluding to today was telling you what happened. The board have dragged their heels. You know, how come every year the Champions League horse bolts and then Celtic act? You know, you know, the, 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 I've said before that the only, the blip in all of this was Brendan Rodgers' era because they, they backed Brendan Rodgers to the hilt because they respected him as a man and a manager and they just took everything that he said as gospel, much like the fans, when 13,500 turn up just to wave at you, you know what I mean, and say hello. You know, you've not done anything, but he was a hero. <laughs> so everybody, it was a whole groundswell, but of that, you know, that kind of. Everybody just thought that it was the right man at the right time, and they armed him to the teeth. And and you know, it's no surprise that he, he swept the boards. You know, so why is Brendan Rodgers the blip and all of this? Why can't they do the same with Ange Postecoglou, Neil Lennon, for that matter? You know, so it's so it's only you know, only now and again. They're going to arm a manager to the teeth. They did it with Martin O'Neill. You know, big blockbusting manager, arm him to the teeth. After that, it's a period of downsizing. Celtic fans are fed up with that. Why Why? why do they only spe- pick spe- specific moments in time to, to really back their managers? I find that bewildering. And it's pretty, you know, it's, it's pretty underwhelming as well. You know? I think as I think as well, they're like, you make a great point in terms of Brendan Rodgers being the blip and and the whole operation and the way Celtic run things. It's because Celtic, for me, always revert back to type. It's yeah. what it's what's expected, and it's what they probably find easy in some sort of way, just to drag their heels and wait to the very last minute to get transferred deals over the line. And then nine times out of ten, being honest, it never really works out. And you made a perfect point there, like Celtic have seen this movie before and they know how it ends. It seems like we're repeating the same cycle. What, yeah. What's the definition? What's the definition of insanity again? Doing the same things over over again, expecting different results. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Do you know what I mean? But, yeah. but coming to yourself, yeah. coming to yourself, William, about the transfer side of things. I know we're got awfully bit of a tangent there. People are probably calling this negative, but for me, it's just being real. 
with the people coming in that we're speaking about, Kyogo for for Furushima, I think he's going to be a cracking player. I mean, the the send off he got from the supporters was mental, and NES that gives him a good write up as well. But are you excited possible possibility coming in the next few months? What the squad's going to look? Yeah, I've I've been excited since the the, the league was over and months ago. To be honest with you, but um, I've always talked about in this podcast how I felt the way we lost it last year and and it's, Alex Ferguson was the greatest at it. Uh, just because you're winning everything, it doesn't mean that you you shouldn't be looking ahead and looking to freshen up and, and change things when you, when you feel like it's getting stagnant and going stale. And I think that we rested on our laurels last year because we were so successful in the previous, however, countless years. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to see what comes to the door. Again, just to echo everything the guys are saying, are these deals, I'm like, yeah, they're exciting and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing these guys, but they should have been done weeks and weeks ago. Uh, and saying that, we're talking, we were talking in a podcast last week on Thursday about how frustrated we were that nothing's through the door and then fast forward a few days and we've got two and two through the door, well, two signed and one looks like he's on his way. So as much as we... Uh, as much as we can complain and moan, they can get them in uh, just as quickly. And, and like John alluded to there as well, the the Kyogo deal was just out the blue. Uh, Origidi as well was another one. That I never heard any any um, anything come through from any media about that before he was saying that was another one just out the blue. So you, like we, we never know what can happen in the next few days. But saying that all goes back to exactly what Tony's saying. Our biggest game. That we've been looking forward to in the last few months is this game tomorrow night and that we've not got anybody in the door to strengthen the squad other than Origidi and Shaw which was Shaw was signed in January last year if I'm not, if I'm correct um, and it's difficult when you're seeing we talked about it and being frustrated another he said himself as well which alluded to the fact that it was a factual comment that he's been involved in with the fact when he was talking about um, it's not just us, it's outside influences too, it's other clubs or other people we're talking to where they say we'll give you a call back tomorrow uh, and then because they do call you back tomorrow that doesn't it's, it doesn't just stop the deal uh, an extra day, it's, it's, an, it's another week for it to happen and stuff like that so um, as much as we criticise the board and stuff like that it does seem like there's um, outside factors that can affect that as well so yeah it's not ideal, we're not in a good position at the moment but if we get through this tie and we get these guys in the, in the team and ready to go, then um, yeah, we'll be in a much better position in, like Tony says, in a few weeks, a month, two months. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing these guys and see what they can do. Look, I'm all about one guy. Late Sunday evening, he was linked to Celtic, the Great Wall, Fraser Foster, for another <laughs> sensational comeback in the Celtic Park, right? Like, I mean, there's been a lot of defended opinion. I've been having fun reading through all people's different comments and stuff. And just want to give my take on it. I'll come to you guys. Fraser Foster, we said, I said this to you in, in our podcast uh, chat group as well. I, For what he's done for Celtic, he's, I mean, he's probably the best shot stopper since Arthur Boric. I think we all agree with that. But for me, and it's not just because he rejected coming back last season, I just don't think this would be a post Coglu signing. I think this would be another one which is thrusted upon him because everyone has this big issue with Barkas. I personally believe Barkas will be the number one going forward and I think he'll come good. I think he's suited the Postal Cog to instead of play. We've seen him in the, the both pre-season games down in the Wales camp anyway, playing basically the halfway line. And that, that, that to me, he looked confident in that role, Anthony, didn't he? He looked like he took a bit of a 40 
and what he was doing. And and not only that, in the press in the game, people give him grief about not being able to stop balls or save shots. He, he saved two goal-bound opportunities, Scott Sinclair, and then one bang straight at him, basically full force. So I personally believe Barkas will be number four, uh, number one going forward. What's your opinion on the whole Foster-Barkas situation? Foster, for me, is a no-no. Right? It's a year too late. You know, whatever happened, they couldn't convince him to come last year when, they, when we were in desperate need of him. So I don't think we're in desperate need of him now because like you, I think Ange Postacog was going to give Barkas every chance to become the undisputed Celtic number one. And as you alluded to there, he seems a more confident goalkeeper now, doesn't he? Sometimes yeah. players, just, players just need an arm around them, you know? And Postacog is Greek-Australian, isn't he? Your man's Greek, so maybe just a compatriot saying to him, look, you're my man, you know? Speak your language, you're going to do this for me. You're going to be my man moving forward. You know, I, I felt sorry for Barkas talking about movies. He was in the wrong movie last year. You know, the crisis of confidence in, in, in himself and in the defence playing in front of him. They, you know, two of them had a crisis of confidence at the same time. So neither of the the back four or the goalkeeper were, work, were working in tandem. They just had a healthy mistrust of each other, which is why everything going towards the goal seemed to go in. You know, it's a poor reflection on Barkas, but he, he certainly wasn't as bad a goalkeeper as people were making out. And he's came, again, I go back to attitude. What an attitude he's came in with in the pre-season games. And I've enjoyed watching him, because I think that's that... That will be good management and a test of Ange Postecoglou's management. If he can get a turn out of Barkas, he'll save the club a few quid in the process, but it'll be good management. And just sometimes players just need to be told, you're the man. You know, and Barkas came in a season where everything hinged. You know, failure wasn't an option. You know, so there was heaps of pressure there. You know, and to come into that, and especially the year he came, with COVID and all that, and maybe not being able to see his family members and stuff, you know, lots of external forces can affect your performance. And it was clear to see that Barkas was affected, especially when Neil Lennon said, he's my number one, and three weeks later he dropped him. So, mm-hmm. you know, all sorts went on in Barkas's mind and head last season. But it's a clean slate under Ange. And I, like you, I've been quite impressed by him. And that save against uh, Preston, the boy Potts' pile driver, it was a sensational save and probably one you thought he wouldn't have saved last season. You know, yeah, so I agree. So I, I think he has to be given every chance. And I think he starts early days, but we sing this guy for five million quid and he's a Greek international goalkeeper. I think he, I think that's I think it's time he now stepped up to the plate and showed that. And I think he's beginning to show signs of of him mm-hmm. being the goalkeeper that Celtic thought they signed. I, I 100% agree. You can go far back in this podcast, and I've always been a fan of Barkas. I believe he's he was first choice for Athens, and he was in the team that knocked us out of the Champions League. He's been mm-hmm. the Greek international probably up until he came to Celtic, and obviously things fell apart for him kind of confidence-wise. But come to yourself, John. We've got two people on the Barkas side of things, and the Foster talk is probably more paper talk, but does going with it anyway, would you take Foster back over Barkas? Yes. No question. <laughs> I'll tell you why. I, I mean, for me, we know how good Foster is. And regardless of what's happened in the past, if the opportunity for him to come back was available, you'd take it, you'd run with it. I can't imagine anybody really saying no. I know Tony said no. <laughs> but, uh, and I know you're saying no, Stephen. But I mean, like I said, you know how good he is. And if you did have the opportunity to bring him back, I mean, we need that this year. And we need a, a proven shortstopper. As you alluded to, he's, he's we needed it last year. 
No, we did. And but I mean, again, with, with the way things went last year, we do, we don't know the ins and outs of why maybe that fell through. For all we know, the board could have turned around and offered them an absolute shite of a contract, and it, it, it could have just been like, what? Like I'm no. There's a lot. Of, <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of underlying factors. There could be many things, and, and judging by the way last season went and the way the board have been uh, as of late, it wouldn't surprise me if, if if Foster said no because of the state things were in, and maybe he could see something that we weren't aware of. Uh, but anyway, I back to the question. Um, Foster would be a, a great signing again if it was another loan, and he would do. Excuse me, he would do the job for us, and I firmly believe we do need another keeper. Uh, I know that you, 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 Stephen, as you mentioned, you've backed Barkas and you think there's a keeper there. Uh, and you made some valid points. He, he, he was first choice for uh, another club, uh, a, a Greek international keeper. But not everybody can settle when they go to new clubs. Not everybody. And he, to me, he, he just has elements of a guy who isn't settling. Uh, we saw it with uh, El Hamid, etc. Uh, there's a player there, but he wasn't settling and he wasn't performing the ability or the, to the extent that he, he was capable of. And we've seen many players come to Scotland uh, with a reputation and fail. Um, so, I, I mean, I wouldn't put doing what he's done previously, uh, take too, too much stock in it, because I think it's maybe a case of he's just no settling. Uh, having Ange there, as Tony said, might be a, might be a, a pivotal uh, thing for him. It might change things. Uh, and I, I really hope it does, because, I mean, the, you spent five million on him. You need, you, I'd love to see a return for him. I just personally don't see it. Um, and I think the, the goalkeeping position, regardless, is still one we need to strengthen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I mean, and, and you go, you mentioned the saves that he's made. Uh, I mean, if you play the odds numbers game, I, I mean, you have a <laughs> shot at him. He's going to save a couple. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So uh, I, it's still far too early for me to, to say confidently that I'm happy with Barkas uh, moving forward. I think he's going to be the man. But I, I think we should be keeping our options open. It's it's all about different opinions, isn't it, really, William? And we all give different takes on what we think. I think John, you make a great point. I mean, no one's doubting Foster's talent. Great shot stopper. Shut out Barcelona, Messi, and everyone was drilling over him. The Spanish newspapers and stuff, William. But there comes a point where you have to let that train go. You have to let the pass go. He didn't want to come last season for for whatever reason. John alluded to the fact contract that contract issues it could have been. But again, this is not me coming from that point of view. I just personally believe Barca's. This could be his season. They go with it and be the selling number one. What what's your take on it? Um, I when it got, go. by the way, John John's starting to sound like Neil Lennon. Eh? Might getting factors and contracts. <laughs> anyway, um, with regards to Foster, uh, I wouldn't have him back, and it's nothing to do. He's he, he's he's talent. He's obviously very very talented individual, and he's he's done wonders for us, but. I'm always banging on in this podcast about if you don't want to be here, then go. I don't want you at my club. If you don't want to be here and you don't want to play for this shirt, then away you go. He's not just left us once. He's left us twice. And in the second instant, he's left us in the biggest season of our entire history, almost. Um, and to go and warm a bench down south. So with regards to Foster, nah, fuck him. He can go. He's, I don't want him, don't want him anywhere near this club. Um Barkas, again, I, for me, I don't think he's the answer. I can understand why we're going to go forward with him this year. And if we do, as a fan, you'll have my full backing. But from from what I've seen last year, um, he, he's not the man for me. I hope I'm proven wrong this year. Um, 
I would like to see us strengthen in that position. Saying that, like I said, if we go forward for him, I totally understand why. But uh, I totally agree with you, Stephen, for a change with a Foster situation. I'm not going back again. Like I can understand you going back uh, once and in the first first time he left. I mean, the circumstances it was slightly understandable. Well, not understandable. You're going to Southampton. I'm not going to rant about this again. I do it every podcast, but. Um, no, not not for me. Don't want you back. You've turned your back on us twice. This is the one best club in the world, and you have been adored by fans. Um, and twice you've turned your back on us. So no, thank you. We are not as, like oh, I'll, I'll go and try this and go and try that. And if I don't, I'll just always come back to Celtic anyway. No, thank you. I don't care how talented you are. You could be Leo Messi. I'm not wanting you back at the club. I want people that want to play for the shop. I like that point. I think we'll we'll end that wee segment on that point. If you. Don't want to try that. Don't try that. You're not coming back to Celtic to try it anyway. I think that's brilliant, William. And we'll move on to the lineup predictions for the crucial game tomorrow evening against FC Midland. Tomorrow evening, to say that, we record this on the Monday. We go out on the Tuesday, so forgive me for that. But come to yourself, Anthony. What is your lineup prediction for tomorrow's game? Uh, Ingo Foster. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, like, obviously, obviously Barkas and Ingo, yeah. Uh, right back, Ralston, Taylor to the left, uh, Beaton and Welsh. Yeah. Yep. In the middle, I think you might go with, uh, well, it'll be McGregor and uh, Turnbull for a start. Sorrow if he's fit. And I think you might play Shaw as well. Right. And the four. And then I think you might play Christie. In front of them and Edward up front, I think he might go for like four four one one or something. You know what I mean? And get yeah, the word, like, get get the word from Christie and uh, and maybe Turnbull and advancing. You know, with Sorrow and Shaw sitting. You know, and uh, Christie, Turnbull, and McGregor can move forward and and support Edward. You know, yeah, Good that's that, that's what, what I think. Um. It's a difficult one because, like I said before, he said everybody that's in that squad's fit and ready, but they're obviously not. If they're all fit and ready, then Julian's going to start all day, but he, he, they can't start him. He's not even had any minutes in the park. Um, so I, I would go Barkas and go. I still can't believe we're going into a season with Tony Ralston as your fucking first choice <laughs> right back, man. It's absolute bonkers. But you're going to have to play him. Uh, Taylor, left back. I would go with... Uh, Origidi and Welsh in the middle of the in the middle of defence. Um, I think I think there's a player in Origidi. I, I like the fact that he, he gets stuck in. Uh, in the midfield three would be Shaw McGregor and Turnbull for me. I really really like the look of Shaw. I think he's going to be a big big player for us. Uh, I would go Christie on the right because again I think he's a fantastic talent. You just don't lose that overnight. He's had a bad season last season, but I think. Especially with Postacoglu's um, style of play, Christy ticks all the boxes for me. A high press, and he's got an engine all day, and and, and interchangeable play, and, and getting a shot away and stuff like that. So I would play Christy there. I would start Forrest if he's even semi fit, even if he just gives us a half. I would start him. I'd put him on the left, and I would start Eddie up front as well because Tony's bang on. He's the, not only the best striker at our club, he's the best player at our club by a country mile. And if we want to qualify for these things, we need to play our best players. So he's got to play. Good point. What about yourself, John? Yeah, pretty much the same uh, as William. I think Barkas is going to start. Um, 
Welsh in the ring, Eddie at the centre, uh, Ralston on the right, Taylor on the left, McGregor. I, 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 I like Shaw as well. I think Shaw could do a job. Shaw's going to start Turnbull. Um, I'd play Forrest out on the left as well. Uh, I don't know what the situation is with um, Mikey. Was it was, was he on that? I can't even remember off the time. It was, but was he on the the, the list? Yeah, he's on the list. Because Mickey I mean, Jones. if he's if he's if you he can get minutes out him and he's fat enough, I'd maybe go Johnson on the left. Uh, Eddie definitely up front, and I'd like to see Dembele start um, on the right. Um, I think that bo- that boy's got so much talent and he's got so much to offer us. Um, and especially if he's coming in it's like a sort of for the right as an inside forward, and you could do some damage as well. So that that's what I'd like to see. But again. Like looking at that team sheet, as I said earlier, it's, it's diff- other than like the, the likes of McGregor, Turnbull, Eddie, um, and maybe Welsh. Everybody else is Taylor. Everybody else is up there. They could start yeah. being the morrow. Like, <laughs> don't be saying that, John. Don't be saying that. that. And this is why I, I I say that as well that we need to strengthen the goalkeeping position because, I mean, let's say we run me back ass throughout this course of the season. Your backup is being in hazard. I mean. Or you bring in a, a, a like a quality short stopper, uh, and maybe he goes forward as your first team, and then you've got Barkas as backup. But it's, or it's just, crazy. Or just bring in a just bring in a free agent with experience. Bring him in. A lot of teams seem to do that. The fill fill a void in the squad anyway. But I'm going to go with bring Alfred Morich back. <laughs> I'm going to go with Barkas and goals. Ralston right back. I'm about to say Julian there. No Welsh Beaton centre back. Greg Taylor left back. Now I'm going to explain this, right? So for the midfield three, I'm go. What do you mean? What? I thought you'd go with Bolly. You've been singing his praises for three weeks. <laughs> no, 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 right. But for the midfield three, for me, Carl McGregor is going to play a slightly deeper role with Christie and Turnbull in front of him. Now the reason why I say that is because this is a home game, and there's going to be nine thousand Celtic fans. I think Alan's Poster called you and Celtic to make a stamp in this game. And to go attacking and gung ho. I mean, especially with our defensive worries, we can't rest in them. So we need to score goals. I think we bit of more impetus from the midfield instead of playing a holding midfielder. That's my decision for that. On the left, I would go for Montgomery because he seems to be playing Montgomery there every other preseason game. On the right, I can see Forrest coming back in the contention, maybe for sixty minutes, and Dembele replacing him. And then up top, just going with my gut instinct. I know you guys are going to be like, "What? I'm going to go Albanieri because he's played him in every other game apart." Well coming into this one anyway in terms of pre-season. I don't know what you guys think about that one. I wouldn't yeah. be adverse to a midfield three that. Has he not played Eddie in every game as well, though? Eddie's came on, Eddie's featured, hasn't he? But, Aye. Uh, I, you know, I know he likes to attack, but and he, he might go with a three up front, actually, just to try and get the ball away from his defence. <laughs> <So laughs> keep it in that end of the park. He's going to have to. It could be could be a high scoring, yeah, uh, because mm-hmm. uh, you just don't see the back of the pack not conceding tomorrow, personally. But I know Mitchelland have got their own problems, haven't they? They've they've rested players. Our players are are look, looking for big moves. A couple of their star players are looking like they're going to finalise big moves. Well, uh, their season's players. already on, underway uh, as well, isn't it? And are they no yeah. like sitting in the lower half of the table at the minute? Or, well, I think they had their first the game the other night, didn't they? They beat uh, by Odensa. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, I think there's internal strife there because one of the strikers has said he's not going to play again because he've had a fallout with the manager, you know, 
the manager seemingly what wonders at Horsens, but he's no very good tactically. That's the reputation that he has, seemingly. So, you know, I, when I read that today, I thought, you know, because I spoke to a Danish journalist and he was telling me a lot of these things, and I thought, well, I was a wee bit encouraged by that, you know, in terms aye, of a Celtic, a Celtic perspective. You know, he, he said there's a bit of disarray and they're not the team that they were 12 months ago. He said 12 months ago he would have took them to, to beat Celtic. He said now if Celtic can't beat this Michelin team, then there's no excuses. So, mm. well, you know, so well. that's aye, that's quite a, a heavy statement to make. But bearing in mind, Michelin reached the Champions League group stages last season and they played Liverpool, Ajax and Atlanta in the group. That's a group of death. You know what I mean? They so, keep looking at the themselves as well. I, I, I mean, they finished fourth in the group. There's no there's no uh, disgrace in that, considering Liverpool are a top side. Atalanta are a fantastic uh, Italian side and having a wee purple period in their history. And Ajax are always there or thereabouts. So, as you say, they, they, they did well. But he said that this team are not a patch on that team. So, you know, in terms of, I know we've been quite negative per se, but we're only negative with the, the, the harsh reality and the facts that are staring us in the face. But if any, if a Celtic team does turn up, then surely they can beat Michelin. Surely. I mean, you know? I mean just just to allude to what you said there in terms of negativity, I think we're negative in the here and now. We don't know yeah, what's yeah. going to happen. We, we yeah, don't know what's I... going to happen in months ahead. And in regards to Michelin, I think you make a great point. There is some disarray in their team. I was listening to 67 Heel Heel today. They had a, a Danish uh, podcaster on as well. He was saying yeah. about that. Their, their star striker is refusing to play for them. But again, yeah, they do have some yeah. good players like Sue Twinkle. We all know him. And then Sisto, the left winger, he played for South Figo. Apparently, he's like a speed merchant. So he's one to look out for. But coming on to score predictions, I'll come to yourself, John, first for this. What, what have you gone for? And if you can, goal scores as well. I'm going to say 2 1 to us. And I'm going to say. Eddie and Tumble. What about yourself, William? Yeah, 2 1 for me, too. Eddie and Christy. Anthony? I go for a clean sweep of two ones. I think Eddie at the double. Oh, nice one. That's, that's a good one. I'm going to go for a 2 1 as well, so it's a quadruple sweep. <laughs> I'm going to go for. I'm going to go for a Yeti and Turnbull to get the goals. But guys, look, because obviously this podcast is right over, I'm going to leave out the quiz this week. I'm sure that's a relief to one of you anyway, yeah. Anthony. <laughs> I still got a 100% a great... record. <laughs> it's, it's been a great show, and obviously we appreciate the come back on. And Anthony, if you want to tell the viewers, or the listeners, sorry, about your latest uh, project and adventure and back into journalism, go ahead. Yeah, I've started a uh, uh, journalist. I'm uh, working for... The Celtic Way, if you log into at The Celtic Way, it's a subscription service and you can read some quality Celtic content, watch some videos, opinion, uh, features, and you can also read some of my stuff as well. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, really enjoying it. It's pretty hands-on. Uh, my official title is an online digital sports journalist. Uh, I think the online digital thing we might struggle with, as you guys have already <laughs> <laughs> Check is not my forty, but I get there. I, I once called uh, Neil Lennon an analog manager in the digital world. I, I know exactly how he feels now. He's the proper <laughs> analog journal in the digital world, but I'm getting there. Uh, it's been a week since I started uh, learning all the tech stuff, and I'm I'm getting there slowly but surely. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the new venture. It's great to be back in, and it's wonderful to be writing about this wonderful football club of ours that we all love and we all support and 
we all want to see do well. So yeah, thanks exactly. for that. Appreciate that. And you can also find Anthony on, on a Monday and a Friday on the Ascom Bulletin, which comes out at 12 o'clock daily, and it's fantastic as well. So give a shout out to them guys, at least in mind. Have you enjoyed this one, Anthony? Oh, brilliant. I always love it. I just, uh, I'll say that we just couldn't square the, uh, or synchronise watches the last time. So my apologies for taking so long. It just Every time I was just like, oh, God, I can't do it. I hate, I hate saying no to people. <laughs> Obviously, if somebody once said to me, no's a complete sentence. You better you better remember it. <laughs> it's just like, right, oh. <laughs> you know, so, but no, love it, guys. It's an absolute pleasure. I, I, I enjoy it. All right. And it's always good to talk to you. No worries. Thanks for coming back on. And to my ah, co-host. And to my co-host, John, and the show regular, William, I appreciate you guys as well. And before we end, I just want to draw the you're welcome. I just want to draw the, the, the listeners' attention to our latest spin-off special, which is titled Grassroots, The Road to Success. It's a fantastic spin-off series. It, Anthony is hosting it alongside Chris Boyle, an, an excellent uh, guest. Not Anthony, who's on the podcast now, but Anthony Dunn, a show regular of ours. And it's just basically looking into grassroots football all around the world, Scotland as well, and the kind of compare and contrast different nations they look at the state of the grassroots football in Scotland compared to Iceland and stuff like that. So it's just a fantastic show they get into about the young up-and-coming footballer stars throughout the world. And to the listeners, until we speak again, hail, hail.